0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the Miss Independent Podcast. Today we have a very special episode for you guys. And this episode is going to be called How to Live in Your House for
1: Free. So as you guys have probably seen, we've been posting some stories about this reno that I'm doing. And I'm sure you guys are curious, like, what is this reno? What's going on? What is the actual relation to Miss Independent content? So I want to break it down for you guys and talk about some real estate investing strategies and how you can do and how you can also live in your house rent-free. So that's the goal. It's still um, a project that's in progress and we're not there yet, but I've learned so much along the way. And so the reason why we're doing this episode is because it's, it's not coming from a place of ego. I want to share my experience with you guys and I want you to learn and learn from my mistakes, because truly, I think that is the biggest shortcut that we have is learning from other people's pasts. So right now there's so much opportunity in real estate. There's I, I love real estate personally, because it's, it's land that you're buying. It's a physical asset and it's going to be scarce in the future because as our population keeps increasing, the amount of land that's available isn't increasing. So that's my personal Personal preference towards real estate. I, I love investing in real estate, and if you're doing it properly, there's a lot of opportunity. So let's get into it.
0: So I think where we can start is with you, Nika, telling us about you know the process of purchasing your first house.
1: What was that like? Was there a bidding war? Like, let's get into it. Yeah, hundred percent. So this, the house that we actually are, are working on right now, wasn't the first house that we put an offer out. So I want you guys to understand that, like, the place that you actually end up buying is, generally speaking, in most cases, probably not going to be the only house that you put an offer out on. So we were looking for about six months before we would found this one. I remember every weekend we were going to showings. I literally lived on realtor.ca or Zulu. Zulu is another awesome tool and how Sigma and real estate is very localized. So I don't want to talk too much about like the Toronto market specifically, just more general concepts, because I feel like that's something that everyone can learn from and not all of our listeners are in Toronto. Um, but Zulu, if you're in Canada, is a really cool tool. Sometimes realtor.ca is delayed, but Zulu actually lets you stay on top of brand new listings. So when they hit MLS, your agents, your real estate agent is always going to have the newest listings available. But if you wanted to just keep an eye out and see what's on the market, Zulu is an awesome tool. House Sigma as well. It lets you see what past properties have sold for. So you can see comparables and see if the property is actually overvalued. Um, so those are just some helpful things that I used like day to day. But when we bought the house, it was in the middle of winter. It was end of January. And we were looking throughout the... The entire winter, right? So December, January, um, even November. And in the winter, the the amount of inventory that's available on the market is scarce. There's there's fewer homes that are available on the market. So it's it's cold in the winter. People don't really want to move. Um, in Quebec, they actually have something called Moving Day in the middle of July, and the entire city of Montreal moves on that day. So it's, logistically, it's it's crazy in Montreal. If You're around in moving day. Try not to be in the city center, Um, but so in the winter, inventory is very scarce. And with the market the way that it is, and interest rates being very low, there was a lot of demand. So that created a seller's market, and it was super competitive, super competitive. So we put a couple offers out. I remember the first house that we put an offer out um, out on. We didn't end up getting. We put an offer with. Two conditions, and there's there's all kinds of different conditions that you can put on a home. We talked about a couple of them in the episode that we did with Severina. Let's talk real estate, but the two most common conditions are um, financing conditions. So you are placing an offer to buy the home conditional on the fact that you can get a mortgage for it, and the other condition is an inspection condition. So you're buying the house conditional that a home inspector comes back and doesn't find anything physically wrong with the house and dissuades you from buying it and says, you know, this is a huge issue. For example,
0: there's mold or
1: there's a huge leak or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Mold or like structural issues. Those are the main ones. Like asbestos is something that you're going to find in most homes just because of the way that homes were built in the seventies and even earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So asbestos exists in most homes. Um, The, the way that you aggravate it is if you are opening up certain areas of the home if there is a lot of moisture, for example, there's there can be asbestos there, but it it exists in some form in almost every home that is older that was built before the 1970s, just oh. because of the materials that they used. But it's not it's not that deadly.
0: It's only not that deadly, it's guys. No, no. Only if you're <laughs> it's aggravating it's deadly, but not
1: that deadly. <laughs> only if you're aggravating it. Like there are there are way more serious issues that you can run into. So having an inspection done for an older home is very very good practice um, It's very prudent to do that so when we put the offer out on the initial the first uh, offer that we put out we put both a financing condition and an inspection condition so when we put the offer on the first house we put both of those conditions our offer was beaten out um, somebody else had had you know offered more we were we didn't go into a bidding war because There was just an offer that was higher with no conditions and the seller preferred that, but that was definitely quite the experience. Learned a lot from that. Um, Second offer that we put, uh, we put out was in a completely different area. We didn't really have criteria that we were looking for in the sense that like we were looking for a house in this specific neighborhood, you know, with this number of bedrooms, we had more broad criteria, right? Like we were looking for a home that we could potentially earn Um, earn income from and have, and have tenants. And that's the whole premise of this whole episode. But the first property, there were two tenants, two separate units in the basement and basement units are technically illegal. So in terms of like fire codes, there's certain things that you need to be mindful of. A lot of people do have tenants in their basement, but you can run into some, some legal issues there. So it was a good thing that we didn't get it. There, there was a few few things that were wrong with that initial house, the floors were crooked. It would have, um, you know, we were doing our estimates in terms of like budgeting for renovations and we would have had to put in about 200K in order to renovate that house. And that's just unreasonable for the value of that property. So we decided, you know what, like that's that was a blessing that we didn't get it. Second property that we put an offer on, we went in with no conditions and put a very competitive offer, but we were still beaten out. Um, And that was also for the best because in hindsight, that property was significantly overvalued. There was no parking, there was no garage. And those were two things that we really wanted and were really looking for. So that was all happening probably about like an early December or December, January. And then mid-January, I was getting really disheartened, really frustrated because this is about, you know, five months into the search I've spent like every day looking for, for this perfect place. And it's just, I was feeling really disheartened, really frustrated because it was almost like I was getting priced out of the market and it was just, it was really tough. So what I did was I sat down and I journaled and I wrote down a list of criteria, a list of things that I'd wanted in the place. And what's crazy is. This was about a week before we ended up finding the place, but, and a few days before we even saw it for the first, for the first time, I wrote down line by line, exactly what I needed from the property. And, you know, I, I, the power of manifestation is just incredible because I wrote this down. I had this image of what this place looks like. It had, you know, at least two units that we could rent out had a meditation room because you guys know I'm a huge hippie. So I need I need a meditation space. Um needed a parking spot because you know it just it adds a lot of value to the place, a garage. Alex and I want to get a dog. So we needed a yard. And I wrote down all of this ideal criteria. And then looking back on this now I literally get chills every time I see it because each one of those line items was accomplished. So I have this quote in my bedroom, and I feel like I've talked to you guys about this, but it says, visualize a dream. A dream with a date is a goal. A goal written down is a plan, and a plan backed by action becomes reality. So the key here is action. Like, I had this vision, but I wasn't sitting on my couch waiting for it to happen. I went out and I made it happen. And I feel like because i had been really clear with what I'd wanted, it, it made it easier to see value in places where other people didn't. So how we actually got the place is a hilarious story but um we had a 30 minute showing we go and we see the place i walk in for the first time the floors are are crooked it's a very dark home i i was like why are we even seeing this like we'd seen a place in a similar area like a couple streets down that was just gorgeous like three floors like it was way out of our price range but just It was right in the area. So we wanted to go see it. And one piece of advice, even though something is listed as maybe outside of of what your price target is, maybe even your agent says, I don't think that you're going to get it. Still put an offer out, talk to your agent, be like, look, I want to put an offer out. Even if it is a lowball offer, you have no idea what the seller is going through. They might have their own financial situation. So it's always, it's always worth just throwing your hat in the ring. You you never know what's going to happen.
0: And if there are no other offers that are presented and you're the only one, there is a good chance that you might get it depending on how badly they need the money. If they already bought a new place, if they have to move into the new place by a certain date. So you're right.
1: Always, always put an offer in. Always. And the more that you do it, the more comfortable you get with drafting and going through an APS, which is an agreement of purchasing sale. So it it makes you more comfortable with the whole, whole process, and it's not as nerve-wracking. So by the time we were out on, and this was the third place that we had put an offer out on, we weren't as nervous. Um, so we walk into the place for the first time. The floors are crooked. It's super dark. We go upstairs, and this property is listed. It's a single-family home, and it was listed as a triplex. But we're walking around, and it's like it's a single-family home. So you know, our agents and, and me and Alex are looking at this like, how is this a triplex? This doesn't make any sense. So we're walking throughout the property and like slowly I'm starting to see, okay, you know, you could separate you, this out here. You could block this off. You could create a separate uh, a separate kitchen here. But I feel like a lot of the people that that saw the home, there was over 100 showings that day, that weekend, sorry. I think just people didn't see value and, and didn't understand it from the same perspective that we did. Um, we walk into the basement and the basement is just stuffed with absolute garbage. Like these people that lived there before were collecting things probably from the 1970s, like the amount of of stuff that was in their home. So it, it made it difficult to see the place, but I feel like it also dissuaded people. And that's a big thing that I want to share with you guys. Always try to find value where other people won't. Like look for for things that other people are overlooking look for fundamentals katie and i always talk about fundamentals for stocks fundamentals for for properties exist as well so things like like parking things like a garage um things like a good neighborhood good schools in the area location is so important you can change everything about the house but you can't change where it was built I feel like just because you were so clear and you
0: did manifest and you knew exactly what you wanted and you were very particular with what you were looking for, it was probably easier for you to see over, you know, the junk and this and that, like you were, you were more focused on like your set criteria that all this other stuff that dissuaded people
1: didn't probably phase you as much. I mean, maybe because I had this vision and I was like, okay, this this kind of fits into it, but it wasn't that clear. Also keep in mind, like when I was, when we were looking, it was peak COVID. So you were limited with how many people could come to showings with you. It had to be immediate family. We had to say that like Alex's mom, we lived in the same house as her. Um, Cause she, she's kind of like my real estate mentor. Like this woman is just amazing and incredible and like such a badass. Um, and so she, she came to us, she came with us to every showing and this woman just, she added so much value. Um, so if you have somebody like that in your life, cherish them and ask them for advice, especially if it's somebody that, you know, has lived through a lot because there's a lot that they can add. So we had 30 minutes to see this place and we all walk in and like, no one is understanding. We're like, how, how is this place valued at what it is? But it, it kind of like, kind of started to make sense. We'd walked out and we we're like, okay, you know what? I think I think we're gonna put an offer out. And then the agent is like, do you guys want to see it again? Like, yes, we we need to see it again because half an hour to make a huge purchasing decision like this, the biggest purchasing decision of your life so far, so far. Yeah, it was a massive decision. So it was like, okay, yes, I need another half an hour to see it, to do another walkthrough to fully understand how I'm going to lay this out as a triplex, because that is the key here. So we come back for another half an hour, did another walkthrough, and that's when we started thinking, okay, this is where we can put a kitchen. This is where we can, you know, fix the bathroom. This is where we can do this. But all of that, all of that took a little bit of time, and it was a very, very high-stress situation. We ended up putting an offer out with no conditions, too, and I don't suggest that. I was just about to say
0: because before you suggested, especially with older homes, and I'm assuming the one you were looking
1: at and you purchased was an older home. Why did you do that? Yeah, it's it's almost 100 years old, so definitely an oldie, but but a goodie. Um, we had an engineering, a structural engineer, visit the property because there were there were cracks, not in the foundation, but like there were a couple of red flags that were concerning. So we'd ask the the agent if there was any kind of inspection that the the previous sellers had done and sometimes they do that in advance just to fast track the process and so that people submit offers with no conditions because that that's better for them that means that you know it's really difficult almost impossible to get out of an offer with no conditions once the agreement is signed so the the sellers had called a structural engineering firm and they had written a really in-depth analysis about the property. And they said that it was going to be sturdy and some of the, the red flags they'd mentioned and said that, you know, they'd, they'd assessed them and it was fine. So that gave us a little bit of peace of mind. The amount of inspection reports that I read um, and tried to decipher, like the lingo that I now know is just, it's incredible to like have gone through that process and like um, did a lot of the learning. But I, I, lear- I learned a lot from that. So they, they had called an, um, a structural engineer to review the property. I had actually called him a few times. I spoke to him on the phone. Alex spoke to him on the phone. And we had some questions and just chatted with him because, you know, when you're going through a big purchasing decision like this, don't be afraid to call people and ask for information. Like at the end of the day, people are always going to be willing to talk to you if you're kind and if you're just, you know, like if you're kind and open and if you call somebody and you're like, Hey, can I borrow? Like, do you have like five minutes? Can I take five minutes of your time? Um, they, they might be more open to to talking to you. So I, ch- I chatted with a structural engineer and he gave me some insight and he was like, yeah, I think it's fine. Like, don't, don't be afraid. I saw it. My team saw it. I can't guarantee anything, but you should be okay. So that gave me some peace of mind. Um, the financing condition is something that I definitely recommend you do include. The reason why we didn't is because when we were when we were buying, it was a very unique time in the market. It was such a seller's market. Like there was you know, you could have a place with ten offers, and every property was selling for two, three hundred k over ask. like it was madness. And you know, a lot of people were putting out offers with no conditions. People were writing letters, like personal letters to the seller. In, in hopes that an emotional letter would sway them in one way or another, and that's a tactic that you can actually try. I hate that. I don't like it either
0: because it's so bullshit too. Like ninety nine point nine percent of the time,
1: hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I don't really like it either. It's kind of like like the teacher's pet, like you know, yeah. butting buddy, up with the teacher. But in this case, it's a fair market, and so you do. I, you got to do what you got to do. Got it. You got to do what you got to do at the end of the day, I haven't been in that kind of situation. I haven't written a letter, but like a hundred percent, if I thought that that would sway a buying decision one way or another, I, I would do it. So I have a question. So
0: when it comes to financing conditions, that's whether or not you can get a mortgage for the amount, wouldn't it be smart for most people then to get approved for a mortgage before they start looking so they know what they can afford. And then when it comes down to conditions, they don't need to really put one down because they know they can get approved for
1: this much or this much based on their income or their assets or yes a hundred percent and that's actually a great point Katie I didn't mention that so we were working with a mortgage agent from the beginning and they helped us understand what we could be pre-approved for so you you can't you can't get a mortgage until you close like you start the process. Once you already have a signed offer out, because the exact value of the property, you don't know what that is, and then the property needs to be appraised and all of that so it, it takes time to put all of the documents together and that usually happens after you've actually after you have a signed offer on both parties. On both sides, but definitely working with a mortgage agent is super helpful because they have different connections, they you know work with banks all the time, they're able to get you a really good rate a lot of the time. Sometimes they can even give you cash back. So having a good mortgage agent is something that I can't stress enough. It's almost as important as having a good real estate agent, and that's actually a very, very key thing. Um, but yeah, definitely working with a strong agent is really important, having a good Mortgage agent is really important as well. And thinking about this decision in advance and planning for it financially is something that's really important as well. So
0: Nika, when you started thinking about purchasing a house, this house was half like for you to live in and half like an investment decision too, right?
1: The main way that we approached it was as an investment because Alex and I are still very young we we realized that like this isn't our dream home and we knew that you know what we want out of life is to be financially financially free and financially independent and we we wanted to set ourselves up for the future so sure. Sorry. I guess my next question is, so when you were looking at this
0: property that you purchased and you were looking at this triplex or this family home and you were looking at, you know, a unit could go here, kitchen could go here, a unit could go here. Were you also at the same time kind of like thinking about how much could I get for this, you know, basement unit or how much could I get for this second floor? And then kind of running the numbers in your head. What was your thought process that way? How are mm-hmm. you approaching Crunching kind of the numbers and like realizing, is this going to be cash flow positive? Am I going to be making money from this decision? Like, what were some factors that you considered? That
1: is a really, really great question, Katie. I wish I could show you right now how many spreadsheets I have <laughs> where we crunch these numbers. And I've actually put together like a few templates that that I'll share with you guys at some point. I need to really refine them, but it's something that we'll, we'll make available and we'll share with you guys because they're, they were really helpful for when I was going through this process. But to give you an understanding of budgets and things like that, definitely we were running the numbers. Um, there are so many different things that we looked at. First, if we talk about like actually buying the place, we needed to make sure that we had three to six months of our mortgage saved in in a separate account because as we're undergoing renos, nobody would be living there. We would need to be taking on this mortgage ourselves. So that was a big expense that we needed to plan for. Um, During the transaction as well, there's things like land transfer tax that you need to account for. So you're not just factoring in your down payment you're also factoring in any real estate fees if you are buying you don't actually pay real estate fees only the seller pays the real estate fee if you are um, in Toronto there's two types of land transfer tax that you have to factor in provincial and municipal so which is shitty because in every other city you only pay one type of municipal tax but or one type of land transfer tax but you, you do pay two so there's, there's all kinds of things that you have to consider, but three to six months of your mortgage payments set aside is a very, very smart thing to do because if you lose your job, if anything happens while you're going through this process, at the end of the day, you're signing a legal contract. You are legally liable for this place. So if something happens and you can't pay it, that is a really tough situation to be in. So isn't it better to just downside protect and you know, be a little bit more strategic. So that's that's one thing during that we're planning for throughout the transaction. The other thing that we were planning for throughout the transaction is the renovations budget. So make sure if you do want to renovate a place, first of all, don't be afraid to get down and dirty and do some of the work yourself. It definitely saves you money, but plan for every little thing. Like you want to plan out if you need appliances, how many appliances you need, go to Facebook Marketplace, check out used appliances or brand new ones like Alex and I have found shops all over the city that sell new appliances from the manufacturers that are just dinged up a little bit. So we're saving a lot of money there. They're brand new appliances. They just might have dents or a little bit of damage. But if you are placing a fridge in a kitchen and the right side is covered by cabinets, who cares if there are some dings there? Especially if this is
0: an investment property and you're not living in it yourself, it makes sense to go save costs as much as possible. So I guess one of my questions is, okay, so I have no idea how much renovations would cost. I would look at a unit and be like, okay, like, you know, I could probably visualize how I want things set up, but how did you budget for the renos? Like, how did you know, okay, this is approximately going to cost me 20,000 for this unit. 20,000 or 30,000 for that unit. Did you talk to anybody? Was
1: that all your own research? Research and talking to people who did it before, because I feel like there's a lot of different things that people have shared with me over the years. Uh, especially, like I mentioned, Alex's mom was kind of like our mentor because she's got a lot of experience. So she helped us significantly, but also like, if you talk to anybody who's done a renovation you can kind of get a sense of like how much renovating a bathroom costs how much renovating a kitchen costs also the amount of google searches that i did and blogs that i read um and also instagram like there's a ton of instagram accounts also that solely focus on renovations youtube like the amount of renovations that i've watched on youtube just cuz now i'm addicted and i and i like love it um but yeah so i feel like i've picked up a lot of information and it gives you it gives you a skill set that you can then use to analyze um, how much it will actually cost. Now, when you're when you're budgeting all of those things out, think nitty-gritty. Think through the smallest details, and always add in a contingency fund. So multiply your costs, your expectations, add add a five percent contingency. And with time, there's three things that you always need to think about if you're actually going to be undergoing any reno it's scope. So like what the size of the project actually is time and resources, like time and budget. So there's three things that are kind of like a triangle. If you imagine triangle, you've got the scope of the project, how much resources you have available. So like how much money you have available and how much time you have to get it done. And in our case, we allocated three months to the renovation because after that point, we just don't have money to be able to constantly pay for the mortgage because the whole purpose of this is to live in our house rent-free. So going back to your question, Katie, about budgets, always add a 5% contingency. Try to plan through every detail. Those are things that I've learned the hard way. And renos always take way longer than you anticipate. So if anybody is giving you a, a time frame, add a few weeks to it. Talk to anybody that's renovated anything and they will tell you the same thing. Renovations never happen on time. And if they do, that is very sus. Very, very sus. So (laughs) So
0: as I mentioned previously, I think the next thing I would want to know is how did you know how much you're going to charge for each unit? What what kind of research did you do there? Did you, again, just- look at other kind of comparable units in the area? Did you get quotes? Did you talk to real estate agents? How
1: did you do your research there to know how
0: much you're eventually gonna rent each unit out for?
1: So that's a great question. And I'm gonna preface by saying, if you are going to do something like this, where you're converting a single family home into a triplex or a multiplex or whatever it is, a home with more than one unit, look at a city map, There are zoning maps that you can find. And specifically for Toronto, there's a Toronto zoning map that you can look into. And you can see the address. And you can des and you can find the different designated zones and rules. So we checked out the address of the house, and we looked at all the bylaws and allowed uses. And we knew that the house was zoned to be a triplex. So that, you know, gave us a lot of of understanding that okay other people in the area also have triplexes so there are a lot of comparables that we can look at we're not reinventing the wheel other people have done this so there was a proof of concept there so that's a really really helpful tip um but to find comparables what we did was we looked at house sigma I mentioned through through house sigma you can see sold data you can also see leases as well within the past 90 days 360 days whatever so it was really helpful to see, we typed in, you know, the area and we were looking at data for, for homes that um, also had different units and how much these units were leasing for. And we would try to find comparable units with, you know, on the same floor with the same amount of bedrooms, same amount of bathrooms, and we had comparables that we built into to this massive Excel doc that we used to plan for um, for all of our expenses and and budgets. So that kind of gave us an understanding of how much we could actually pull out of the property to be cash flow positive. And we're not going to be cash flow positive because we're living there. But we are going to be technically, you know, living rent free and mortgage free because we're going to have different units in the house helping us pay for the property. So if that's something that you guys want to do, I highly highly encourage it. Um, you can talk to your agents, and they can help you find comparables. Sometimes they can even help you find tenants as well. You just, you would pay the agent for the first month's lease, or you can find tenants yourself. And on the tenant side, that is something that I'll share with you guys as I go through that process. Uh, we're trying to lease the place out for September 1st. We'll see how that goes. Um a couple of things that I've learned through just different Facebook groups that I'm a part of, like landlord Facebook groups is always do a credit check yourself because it's so easy to fake that and try to find people that are trustworthy, that have really good jobs. Yeah. So you, you can work with an agent. You could do research on your own. A lot of, a lot of different things to consider.
0: So where are you with the property right now? I know you mentioned earlier, you saved about three to six months worth of your mortgage for the renovations. Where are the renovations? Have you encountered any unforeseen or unexpected problems?
1: What's going on? So that's kind of a loaded question. Have we encountered any unforeseen problems? I mean, I feel like you're always going to encounter unforeseen things when you're undergoing a massive project like this. Where we're at right now is... We have almost finished the third floor. We've put in new floors. We put in vinyl because vinyl is waterproof, and for rental units, it makes a lot of sense that you don't need to replace the floors if the tenant has, you know, um, has a water leak or something happens and they spill water on the floor. With hardwood, with laminate, it will bubble, and then you need to replace that, and so it's a very expensive thing. So what we'd planned for, um, and what we try to do to mitigate that, is put in vinyl, which is just like plastic. It's a plasticky material that is designed to look like wood and it feels really nice. Um and it looks like wood. So we put that in on the third floor on the second floor. The first floor is fine. Doesn't it has hardwood, it doesn't need uh we don't need to replace the floors. And why would you replace hardwood floors for a cheaper material? So we're keeping the first floor and then in the basement we're fully finishing the basement as well. It's got drywall up. Um we're almost done with putting in a bathroom in the basement we've put in heating so the house is very old it still has radiators as so heating and that's been a fucking headache because honestly a huge huge piece of advice if you are going to be doing any type of renovation always get multiple quotes from tradespeople and compare because one person might give you one type of advice another person might give you another form of advice and they'll they'll give you very different quotes and yeah so we finished the basement have got drywall. There's still a couple things that need to be done. Like we we do need another radiator in the bathroom in the basement is almost finished. The second floor bathroom is fully done. So you guys have seen that. That's the unit that we're actually living in. So we're putting in a little bit nicer finishes because, you know, you want to live in a space that you like. Um, we're putting a kitchen in there. And on the third floor, we're building a kitchen as well. And the third floor bathroom is finalized. What we're doing with the third floor is we're going to try to Airbnb it and with Toronto, you can Airbnb your own, your primary residence. It has to be your primary residence and you do pay capital gains tax on it. So those are two things to consider. Toronto is becoming very stringent with their Airbnb rules. Definitely look into them if you've considered airbnb being the place. So do there's a lot of research that I've done and it's just absolutely crazy the fact that, you know, there's all kinds of different, um, different things that you've got to keep in mind. One. Piece of advice on the kitchen side is going with modular cabinets from ikea is a really really great way to stay under budget so that's what we've done and we bought handles and hardware from etsy and from amazon that don't look like typical ikea cabinet handles so it just elevates the look of the whole place with small details and that's something that we've tried to bring into the entire place especially the Airbnb unit because we want it to still be done under budget but we want to add in little elements of flair. So what you want to do is not to skimp out on on play, on not to skimp out on things that people will pay attention to. Like a tenant or somebody that's renting an Airbnb isn't going to pay attention to The tile that you're using. And they're not going to know the difference between a $4 uh, per square foot tile and a $2 per square foot tile. They're just going to notice that it looks like a nice white clean bathroom. And piece of advice here, most people, especially long-term tenants want to live in a place where they can design and they can add their own flavor. So you you don't want to go too extreme and you don't want to add your own style to it. You want to keep it plain. Um, But that's basically where we're at right now. It's, it's been a heck of a journey. I've learned so much along the way. And I want to keep sharing that with you guys. Um, Bottom line, like I know, it, it may sound unrealistic or scary to to be doing something like this, but it's a learning process. And you learn so much as you go. And I just I want all of you guys to know that it's possible like this. This is fully possible. Maybe, you know, owning a home in in Toronto isn't feasible for you right now, but you can can buy a pre-construction or you can buy a condo and work your way up there. Um, You can sell that property and then buy another one. You can leverage whatever mortgage you get. And if you do put renos in, you can refinance, pull your equity out. And this is called the BRRR strategy where you buy, refurbish, refinance, resell. Um, and it's a great strategy, but you're basically pulling your equity out—the money that you put in to your down payment—and you buy something else afterwards. So there's a, there's a bunch of different strategies that you guys can try, but I want you to know that it is fully possible. Other people are doing it, so I don't want you to be an invicta mindset. I don't. I want to stop this this whole thought process that like millennials are going to have such a hard time buying property. I mean, yes, it is it is going to get more and more difficult as the housing market becomes more saturated, but it's possible. Other people are out there doing it. You can do it too. You just need to work backwards from your goal. You need to start small. You need to get your foot in the door. You need to get on the property ladder somehow in in a market. If Toronto is not realistic, look into different markets like Victoria. One of my friends just bought a condo in Victoria and I'm so proud of her. And it's a market that most people don't really think about, but People live on the island. More and more people want to live on the island, and there's still jobs there. There's a lot of, of uh, companies, like for my day-to-day job, I work with companies all across Canada, and there are a lot of employers that need that need people on the island. But housing is so expensive, and there's not enough rental housing. So that's a market to look into. But just markets in general, like talk to people from those areas, get a sense of what the real estate market is like, and don't focus so much on not on falling into this victim mindset and thinking that you're never going to be able to afford buying because you are. And if you put your mind to it, I know that you're going to be able to achieve it. You just need to want it. You need to know what you're after and you'll get there. I, I believe in you guys. I know you're going to be able to do it. Katie knows it. So I want to just leave you with that
0: thought. Yeah, guys, just remember you can achieve anything you guys put your mind to. I think actually we covered a lot in this episode today. We talked about things that Nika has learned along the way, talked about zoning. We talked about multiple offers and conditions. We talked about how budgets are very important when deciding to buy an investment property or a house in general. We talked
1: about the fact that, you know, maybe a triplex might be a stretch. For new investors, condos are more accessible. And we talked about the fact that, I, I mean, maybe we didn't even touch on this too much, but interest rates are very low. We've talked about this in previous episodes. They're, they're going to stay low for the next little bit. So take advantage of it, guys. If you have savings, don't keep them in savings. Do something with that money and real estate is a great way to invest it is a lot more hands on than renting but if anybody tells you that renting makes more sense than buying everybody's situation is different but in most cases i will tell you that that person is speaking from a place of fear so i know it's scary but go out there and just do it life is a learning process you're going to learn so much throughout, you're going to learn so much throughout this journey so thanks for listening guys i hope I hope you learned from some of my mistakes. I hope you understood that, you know, all of all of this is possible. Like you, you can do it, work backwards, figure out what you want and go after
0: it. Thanks guys. Until next time. Bye.